say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey listeners, before we start the show, I want to bring your attention to a frightening statistic from the CDC. Did you know that one in five women in the U.S. will be raped at some point in her life? Horrifying, I know. And here on the podcast, we have heard countless stories of women being put into scary situations with no preventative measures. So how can you defend yourself from a potential attack? By using She's Birdie, a modern personal safety alarm. If threatened, activate Birdie's loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to create a diversion, giving you time to escape. She's Birdie is lightweight with a pop of color so you can easily find it in your purse. Also, Birdie comes with a solid brass keychain to transition with you from day to night, around town, on the trails, across campus, and out at night. Birdie is also TSA approved, perfect for those who like to travel. Because I believe not only in She Birdie's product, but also their mission to create a world where women are safe, I've partnered with them to bring our listeners an exclusive deal. Follow the link in the show's notes and use promo code LIGHTSON30 to get 10% off your purchase. Yes, that's 10% for Leave the Lights On listeners. She's Birdie is totally worth the buy. I have one which I take with me on my night runs or when I go out on the town. I feel safer just knowing I have a way to protect myself and Birdie looks really cute. I got the coral colored one and I am absolutely in love. I'm able to locate it in my purse. I even attach it to my purse. And if I'm going like out on the town or whatever, it matches perfectly. So, you know, totally worth the buy. Go grab one of yours today. To get that 10% off, you need to follow the link in the show's notes and use promo code LIGHTSON30. Together, let's make the world a safer place for women. Welcome back to another episode of Leave the Lights On, brought to you by Podmoth. I am your host, Eliza, and in case you guys can't tell, I'm recording on some new equipment. This equipment was actually made possible by my wonderful Patreon members, as well as sponsors. I could not have done this without their support. As a way of saying thank you, I actually created a little unboxing videos where they got to check out all of the cool gear and gadgets, and I talked a little bit about the tech specs of each item. If this is something that may interest you, then I highly recommend you become a Patreon member. Membership is just a dollar, which is actually less than a cup of coffee. And you can find links to Patreon and much more at lightsonpod.com. Now, as always, before we start the show, 
I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to Leave the Lights On, as I know that you guys have tons of other options out there to get your true crime and paranormal fix. And I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for picking the show. Another thank you goes out to those who do continue to subscribe, rate, and review. You guys are really the backbone as well. So keep up the good work. Now, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different from the norm. Don't worry, you're still going to hear about murder, but each case has a connecting theme. This theme is controversial and has sparked debate in both the scientific community as well as conspiracy groups, which is why I want to cover it. So let's get started. On December 5th, 1966, the body of 92-year-old Dr. J. Irving Bentley was discovered in his Pennsylvania home by a meter reader. Actually, only part of Dr. Bentley's leg and a foot were found. The rest of his body had been burned to ashes in his bathroom. Part of the good doctor's incinerated robe lay at the site, and his walker was left propped against the blackened bathtub. But the most eye-catching clue was a massive hole in his vinyl flooring. Measuring about two feet or six meters wide by four feet or 1.2 meters long, it had eaten into the wooden floor beams and left a pile of ashes in the basement below. The rest of the house remained intact. At first, Bentley's demise was identified as a careless mishap. The elderly gentleman loved to smoke his pipe, and he had a bad habit of carrying matches in his robe pockets. Upon reviewing the scene, the coroner deduced that Bentley had fallen asleep while smoking in the bathroom and was burned alive after some of his clothing caught fire. But skeptics point to the massive hole in his vinyl flooring, saying that the fire had to have been extremely hot for it to reduce the floor beams to ash. But if the fire was scalding, why didn't the rest of the house catch? For some, the answer is clear. It's spontaneous human combustion, or SHC. Now, according to the National Park Service, spontaneous combustion occurs when an object, and in this case of spontaneous human combustion, a person, bursts into flames with a chemical reaction within apparently without being ignited by an external heat source. I know this sounds crazy, and to be honest, holes can be poked into the theory that Dr. Bentley's death was caused by SHC. But what happened to him has happened to others. At roughly 8 a.m. on July 2nd, 1951, Marley Reeser's landlady, Pansy Carpenter, arrived at Reeser's door with a telegram. Trying the door, she found the metal doorknob to be uncomfortably warm to the touch and called the police. Reeser's remains, which were largely ash, were found among the remains of a chair in which she had been sitting. Only part of her left foot, which was wearing a slipper, and her backbone remained along with her skull. 
plastic household objects at a distance from the seat of the fire were softened and had lost their shapes. Reeser's skull had survived and was found among the ashes, but shrunken, sometimes with the added descriptive flourish of to the sides of a teacup. Now, I don't think that was the case, to be honest, but the extents of this shrinkage was enough to be remarked on by official investigators and was not an illusion caused by the removal of all facial features, such as the ears, nose, lips, and so on. Now, it's important to note that shrinking of the skull is not a regular feature of alleged cases of SHC. Although the shrunken skull claim has become a regular feature of anecdotal accounts of other SHC cases and numerous apophical stories. During the investigation, detectives found that Reeser's temperature was around 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,930 degrees Celsius, which puzzled the investigators as almost everything else in the room in which Reeser was found remained intact. Now, for those that don't know, a human body burns at 1,400 to 2,100 degrees Fahrenheit or 760 to 1,150 degrees Celsius. A complete cremation of a body usually takes around 90 minutes to two hours with larger bodies taking a long time. So if you wanna think about this for a moment, if this lady did spontaneously combust, her, for her whole entire body to burn, the fire had to have been going for a minimum of 90 minutes, which is enough time for the surrounding area to catch on fire and to get the rest of the house on fire. So just food for thought there. A common theory was that Reeser was smoking a cigarette after taking sleeping pills and then fell asleep while holding the burning cigarette which could have ignited her gown, ultimately leading to her death. Investigators also found that the fire had burned a socket, which stopped a clock at 2.26 a.m. This suggested that Reeser had died at around that time. SHC believers point to many other causes, such as a 89-year-old widow, Margaret Hogan, from Dublin, Ireland. She was found burned almost to the point of complete destruction in 1970. Plastic flowers on a table in the center of the room had been reduced to liquid and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from the armchair in which the ashen remains were found. Otherwise, the surroundings were almost untouched. Her two feet and both legs from below the knees were undamaged. A small coal fire had been burning in the grate when a neighbor left the house the previous day. However, no connection between this fire and that in which Miss Hogan died could be found. Another case is that of Henry Thomas. A 73-year-old man was found burned to death in the living room of his council home on the Rasu Estate in Ebenville, South Wales, in 1980. I'm sorry if I butchered all of those names, my Wales friends. I've tried my best to pronounce and practice them, but boy, was it difficult. His entire body was incinerated, leaving only his skull and a portion of each leg below the knee. The feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers. Half of the chair in which he had been sitting was also destroyed. 
A more recent SHC case is that of Michael Faraday, 76, who died at his home in Galway on December 22, 2010. What's special about this case is that the coroner ruled the death as SHC. Now, in the past, it has been very difficult to convince coroners to make such a ruling. And that is why this is so shocking because coroners don't do that. They, they have no reason to, and they're more in line with the scientific community. So this is absolutely an unprecedented event. Now, Mr. Faraday had been found lying on his back with his head closest to an open fireplace. The fire had been confined to the sitting room. The only damage was to the body, which was totally burnt, the ceiling above him and the floor underneath of him. Forensic experts found that a fire in the fireplace of the sitting room had not been the cause of the blaze that killed Mr. Faraday. Modern forensic research takes into account at least four major factors when reconstructing a scene. First is identifiable fire pattern damage or changes to exposed surfaces by heat transfer. Second is human factors, including witness accounts, detection, behavior, and escape paths. Third is physical forensic evidence of human activity, including burns, injuries, wounds, latent fingerprints, shoe prints, and blood spatter. And our final one is the application of the scientific method based upon relevant scientific principles and research, including fire testing, dynamics, suppression modeling, pattern analysis, and historical cases. Now, all of that information was taken from Angie Christensen's master thesis on debunking the spontaneous human combustion myth, experiments in the combustibility of the human body. I actually found that research paper pretty incredible, and I will be posting a link in the show notes for you guys to kind of take a look at. It provides another alternative um, look rather than what you see sometimes on the internet, people praising uh, SHC. So I thought that that was really nice and um, more of a, a, a mind-opening, I guess, experience, but definitely we'll be posting that in the notes. So be on the lookout for that. The Dr. Cesarian McLaughlin made this statement at the inquiry into the death, quote, this fire was thoroughly investigated, and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. End quote. Today's episode is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better, informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and that is why we are teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% or 15% off for military, teachers, students, 
first responders, doctors, and nurses. Go to pop. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. That's podgo.co forward slash kind. Kind Bar, creating a kinder and healthier world. One act, one snack at a time. Watchers Podcast brings you a new horror-filled episode. Ev- Colson, Colson, what? I'm recording a promo. Did you tell them about the scary listener stories? I'm getting to it. Okay, sorry. Uh, and then we're available wherever you get your podcasts. You need to let me finish this. Okay. okay. Maybe use a creepy voice. That's it. Oh, and tell them about the horror movie you reviews. While all these cases are bizarre, the idea on whether or not human beings can spontaneously combust has been debated for several centuries. The first known accounts of spontaneous human combustion date all the way back to 1641. Thomas Bartholin had been credited with penning the first written account of SHC. In 1663, he described how a woman in Paris, quote, went up in ashes and smoke while she was sleeping. The straw mattress on which she slept was unmarred by the fire. The hundreds of alleged SHC accounts since that time have followed a similar pattern. The victim is almost completely consumed, usually inside his or her home. Coroners at the scene have sometimes noted a sweet, smoky smell in the room where the incident occurred. That could be attributed to just humans being lit on fire. I've talked to some firemen and women who have said that they have smelled burnt flesh before and it's a very sickly, sweet smell. So I I don't know if I would count that as a part of SHC. I think that's just a byproduct of it, but it is something that should be noted. There are photos that document suspected SHC victims, which show the corpse's torso and head are charred beyond recognition, but some extremities remain intact. As you may remember, Dr. Bentley's leg and a foot were found unburned. Miss Reeser's foot was unburned and had a shoe still attached to it. Mr. Faity's feet and legs were still clothed in his socks and trousers. That is something that is very bizarre, especially if you caught on fire. You would think like your whole body, including your clothings, would go up in smoke too. Another odd occurrence is a greasy residue is sometimes left behind on furniture and walls. And I just want to let you guys know, this is not an accelerant. No one came in and poured gasoline on these people and it would leave a residue. This is just something that they note all the time in SHC cases. Now, according to HowStuffWorks.com, for an object to combust spontaneously, three things need to happen. First, the body must be heated to its ignition temperature the point at which it will catch on fire without being exposed to an external flame or spark. 
if the heat building up inside the object cannot escape, and if it's being exposed to a steady flow of oxygen that isn't rapid enough to cool it down, the stage will be set for spontaneous ignition. There are a few theories out there that try to explain why and if SHC happens. One widespread belief says that fire is sparked when methane, a flammable gas produced by gut bacteria, builds up in the intestines and is ignited by enzymes, proteins in the body that act as catalysts to induce and speed up chemical reactions. Yet this begs the question of why there are no reported instances of spontaneous combustion in cows. That's right, cows, which produce far more methane than people. And I can tell you guys, I have seen the scientific papers, cows do produce a lot of methane. There's even been an article citing cows as the cause for greenhouse gases. And it's really a fun read. I also kind of want to say, like, in my mind, when I was reading through these facts and doing my research, I had a big old laugh when I came across this because I pictured in my mind me driving down the road, looking over into the surrounding fields where cows reside, and just imagining these cows going up like little firecrackers all over the place. Like that would be a massive, hilarious, darkly funny thing and terrifying. I mean, just driving down the road and seeing little cow firecrackers. It's just, it's just intense and funny, but that's just me. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, moving on. Now, Charles Dickens blamed booze. That's right. (laughs) Let's go and blame booze for everything. In the 1950s, the writer ignited great interest in SHC by using it to kill off a character in his novel, Bleak House. I've not read that. If you have, let me know, but it sounds very bleak. Now, the character named Crook was an alcoholic following the belief at the time that spontaneous human combustion was caused by excessive amounts of alcohol in the body. American prohibitionists helped spread this notion as they denounced the evils of alcoholism. Thanks, guys. I'm very thankful that that amendment got repealed because... I would not have been able to survive without alcohol. In the 1970s, a quasi-Freudian explanation came into vogue, suggesting that a person's depressive emotional state could somehow cause him or her to become inflamed. Others have suggested that sunspots, cosmic storms, or even a buildup of the body's supposed vibrational energy may be to blame. It has also been suggested that the fire begins because of static electricity building up inside the body or from an external geomagnetic force. A self-proclaimed expert on spontaneous human combustion, Larry Arnold, has suggested that the phenomenon is the work of a new subatomic particle called a pyron, which he says interacts with cells to create a mini-explosion. But at the time of this recording, there's no scientific evidence that proves the existence of this particle. Another theory is the wick effect. When lit by a cigarette, smoldering ember, or other heat source, the human body acts much like an inside-out candle. A candle is composed of a wick on the inside, surrounded by a wax made of flammable fatty acids. The wax ignites the wick and keeps it burning. 
In the human body, the body fat acts as the flammable substance, and the victim's clothing or hair acts as the wick. As the fat melts from the heat, it soaks into the clothing and acts as a wax-like substance to keep the wick burning slowly. Scientists say this would explain why victims' bodies are destroyed, yet their surroundings are barely burned. Forensic scientist John Dehan once watched this gruesome spectacle unfold in real time, to a pig anyway, in a 1998 experiment that was televised on the BBC, he wrapped a pig corpse in a blanket, then lit the garment ablaze with some petrol. That's gas, folks. As Dehan looked on, the animal's body fat liquefied, adding more fuel to the fire. By the time he put out the flames a few hours later, the slow, intense burn had converted a large percentage of the pig's flesh and bones into ash the rest of the room suffered minimal damage. Yet, the dead pig's feet remained intact. This is consistent with reports of SHC leaving disembodied feet or hands behind. Extremities don't contain as much fat as the core of the body does, so they're less likely to go up in smoke when the wick effect occurs. Now, how does science account for the greasy stains left on walls and ceilings after a spontaneous combustion? Those could simply be the residue that was produced when the victim's fatty tissue burned. Nothing out of the norm there. Now, finally, one of my favorite theories suggests that aliens, UFOs, or poltergeists are responsible for these unusual deaths, or that victims just suffered the wrath of God. Most scientists say there are more likely explanations for what happened to those who died in the cases we've discussed. Almost all postulated cases of SHC involve persons with low mobility due to advanced age or obesity, along with poor health. Victims show a high likelihood of having died in their sleep or of having been unable to move once they had caught fire. Cigarettes are often seen as the source of fire, as the improper disposal of smoking materials cause one in every four fire deaths in the United States. Natural causes such as heart attacks may lead to the victim dying, subsequently dropping the cigarette, which, after a period of smoldering, can ignite the victim's clothes. Also, SHC can be confused with self-immulation as a form of suicide. Self-immulation is the act of killing oneself by setting fire to oneself with a flammable liquid. In the West, self-immulation accounts for 1% of suicides, while developing countries can see figures as high as 40%. The only thing that I want to note here is that we have advanced far enough to where we can detect if there was a accelerant, which would be gas, uh, if that was used and so far, that hasn't been said about any of the victims we talked about. So is SHC real? That's the big question. In my research, all answers point to no, sadly. None of the proposed scientific explanations for how a body would spontaneously burst into flames have held up to scrutiny. Some of the early proposed mechanisms rely on outdated medical ideas, such as the notion that an ignition could be the result of an imbalance of the bodily humors. 
the Victorian explanation that alcohol rendered the body flammable doesn't work either, seeing that the concentrations of alcohol in even the most intoxicated people are much too low and that an external source of ignition would be required. But it is my personal belief that SHC can happen. I, to be honest, fall more in line with the wick effect theory as experiments have been conducted which has produced results that show many of the usual characteristics associated with SHC. I also think that science has yet to develop equipment or discover a particle that would lead to the scientific community accepting SHC as a plausible event. For the longest time, I mean, let's be real, humans thought that the cold was the devil leaving your body. And it wasn't until science developed ways to detect viruses that that idea just changed. So who's to say that can't happen to SHC? Let's be real. I do hope that one day in my lifetime that something gets developed and we can prove that SHC is not just a theory or just some out there bizarre um, random of fact. I We need to make it fact, not random, not bizarre. It needs to be truth. And I do believe, hopefully, that we will eventually seek it out and make it a fact rather than a theory. Now, of course, I would love your opinion on the matter. Do you believe in SHC? And if so, why? If not, I also do want to hear from you too. I love both sides of the coin and I also love a nice hearty debate as well. You can send those opinions to leave the lights on podcast at gmail.com or you can just reach out to me on the show's social media platforms, whatever works best for you. Sources that were used in today's episode are howstuffworks.com Angie Christensen's master's thesis and good old-fashioned Wikipedia. Links will be in the show notes for you guys to kind of peruse. And this is just something that I've started doing lately as I've gotten a couple of requests for further information. So instead of me just bumbling back through my browser history, I'm going to be responsible and put it in the show notes. If you liked what you heard, please head over to Apple podcast and leave a review. It's free and quick. Plus, you know, you're helping out this small time podcast while you're there. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. Not an Apple fan. Don't worry. I'm on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and pretty much wherever you get your podcast. So you can check it out there. If you feel like supporting the show, like I mentioned at the beginning, please do consider becoming a Patreon member. It is really one of the best ways to support a podcast and you get rewards. Membership is just a dollar, no big deal. And that will give you access to mini episode series, Crime in 10, which is true crime cases in 10 minutes or less, plus all of the other Patreon-only videos that I create. And you get to kind of connect with me outside of the podcast, which is really cool too. Thank you goes out to my top tier members, Catherine and Jonathan, for supporting the show. And thank you to the show's other Patreon members for supporting as well. Also, be sure to visit lightsonpod.com for links to merch and more. Another special shout out goes to the Vanishing Hitchhiker podcast. Join host Jamie Mercer as she explores urban legends and delves into the truth about these tales. Episodes will be coming soon, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I know I have, and I cannot wait for the episodes to drop. Remember, folks, it is scary out there, so leave the lights on. 
What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.